Well, hello there. Got to have the stool for the water, you know. Awesome. Well, normally um, our speakers will come up here, share a little bit about themselves, so some, show some pictures of family. Um, however, the only thing you need to know about me right now is that I love Jesus. And that makes me a Christian. And I wonder what your perception of Christianity is. Many people view Christianity as a set of rules. Follow the rules and God will accept you. Follow the rules, God will love you. Follow the rules and you will get to go to heaven. After all, Jesus was just a good moral teacher, right? He taught us to love the poor, so we love the poor. He taught us to feed the hungry, so we feed the hungry. Told us to clothe the naked, so we do as such. Jesus taught us how to be good people and then died for our right to be good people. Christianity means be a good person and you'll go to heaven, right? My hope within my time up here um, is to kind of dispel three things a lot of people believe about Christianity. First is that your works are good enough to please God. Your works make up for your past sins, and your works will earn you a way to heaven. So first off, Isaiah 64, 6 states, We have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Polluted garment's a very nice translation, by the way. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. God is perfect. God is glorious. God is righteous creator of heaven and earth. God is a holy God. We, on the other hand, are not. Romans 3.23 states, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each of us, me, you, your neighbors, your family, your classmates, all of us, all of our lives are contaminated with sin. We're unable to be in relationship with this holy God because of our sinful condition. The term sin actually derives from an archery term to where you would shoot a bow and arrow at a target and the distance from the bullseye to where the arrow landed is called sin. In other words, you missed the mark. Pastor Ray Ortland Jr., one of my favorite pastors to listen to, uh, you should check him out has this quote that says, if sin was a color, let's say the color blue, every aspect of your life would be some shade of blue. In every aspect of your life, you have missed the mark. We are broken and sinful in every facet of our lives. So we cannot, or our works are not good enough to please God. Next, Galatians 2.21 says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification, meaning being in a right standing before God, were through the law, which is a good deed or action, then Christ died for no purpose. If we are justified by our own works, then we have zero need for Jesus. If you are able to earn your own justification because of what you do, then there is no need to follow, to trust, to praise, or worship Jesus at all because you are your own God. 
Your works are not good enough to please God. Your works are not good enough to make up for your past sins. Next, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast. It is only by grace through faith. That is the only way to be saved and to go to heaven. Heaven will not be a place where we'll walk around telling each other, I did this good deed, that's how I got here. Heaven is not a business where you have to have the perfect spiritual resume to be able to get in. Heaven's standards are way too high for you. You are not good enough. Getting into heaven is so incredibly difficult that no man or woman in the history of all humanity has ever deserved to go to heaven except one, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he gives this opportunity to you freely as a gift. Your works are not good enough to please God. Your works are not good enough to make up for your past sins, and your works are not good enough to get you into heaven. This concept is so hard for us to understand because we've been raised by hearing things like nothing is free, freedom is not free, work hard, play hard. We have this mindset that nothing is truly ever free, everything is earned, including heaven. This concept of earning your own salvation through good works is called legalism. Legalism, the definition, is an attempt to gain favor with God or to impress our fellow man by doing certain things or avoiding other things without regard to the condition of our hearts before God. Legalists may appear to be spiritual or righteous, but legalism ultimately fails to accomplish God's purposes because legalism is an outward performance instead of an inward heart change. I thought about asking you the question, do you struggle with legalism? Do you try to impress God or do you try to earn your salvation before God and other people? Instead, um, I decided not to ask that question, but instead ask you the question, why do you try to earn God's favor? Why do you try to do good things to earn the approval of God and other people? Because all of us are guilty of this, all of us. If you say you don't struggle with legalistic tendencies, let me give you some examples. Maybe it will uh, change your mind. Legalism is thinking God loves you more when you behave. Only listening to Christian music is the only way to get to heaven. Comparing your righteousness to other Christians. Feeling you're not good enough to go to church. Only listening to Christian worship music with Words such as me or I, being self-centered. If you're unsure if you're going to heaven or not, all of these are legalistic. Now, they're not inherently bad by themselves, but they're focused on you, not on God. Legalism also applies um, to our appearance to other people, trying to earn their approval or improve their view of us. Here are some examples. 
Posting pictures of your Bible online to show people that you're reading it. Posting pictures of the gym to tell people you're there. Taking part in an event because you want to impress the people who will be there. Posting something on social media just to see how many likes it will get. Cleaning your house or your bedroom because people are coming over and you don't want them to think you're a slob. Wanting to be on stage or be an MC because people will think highly of you. Feeling unsettled if someone does something nice for you because you feel the need to reciprocate that feeling and that action. Do you feel guilty? Do you feel like I'm calling you out? Do you feel uncomfortable right now? Good. I hope you do. Because that means you're a legalist. At the base of legalism is the sin of pride. We want to place ourselves in Christianity. We want to be the center of the story. We think we deserve to be loved by God by the, because we may occasionally do good things. We subconsciously think that Christianity is all about us. It's not. One of the best examples of legalistic pride I could find um, comes from Luke 18. And just a little context of this, Jesus is telling this story of two men who go up to the temple to pray, one of them being a Pharisee who's supposed to have this righteous, good moral standing in the community, and the other a tax collector, basically the scum of the earth that no one likes. And so it picks up in verse 11, where this is Jesus talking. He says, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collectors. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. This is what legalistic pride looks like. He's trying to earn his way before God, saying, I am good enough, but he's not. Hey, guys, how's it going? So, the thing that you guys need to know about me, if there's anything to know, is that I love Jesus. But apart from that, I'm an extortioner. I'm unjust, an adulterer, someone who doesn't tithe, and someone who doesn't fast. If you turn with me to to Luke 18, that'd be awesome. Verse 9, we're going to start there. And it goes like this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I get. And so I want to focus your attention towards verse 9, and it goes on with this point of saying, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And so this word righteous or righteousness, I want to divine defined for you guys or help you understand what is being said here, what it's mean. Righteousness or being right is having a right standing before God in the biblical sense. So as Logan had talked about earlier and as what's been shared before, 
we do not have a righteous standing before God, that we are in a desperate state before God, that we need him. We do not have a righteousness of our own. And so, for example, um, if you would, turn to Romans dwells in me. That is, and understand more. And it goes like this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, all that you do is earn death for your wages. You know, you have a job. Like, I have a job. I work for crew. And uh, my wages equate for, like, what I, I work and I earn wages, right? Just as, like, you guys work and you do things, you earn something, right? And the Bible says, for your wages of sin is death. There's a reason why we're all going to die. But... The free gift of God is eternal life. And I want to tell you that this applied to Jesus as well. That he who knew no sin became sin on your behalf. That he died. He took your sin, your shame, and died on the cross. For the wages of sin is death. But he rose from the grave to give you eternal life. That this is who Jesus is. That he loves you so much that God in heaven that he would take your place, that you needed someone to take your place, that he bought you with his blood, that he can pay for your sin because he rose, because he's God, and he loves you so much so that he would take your place. I don't know about you, but I don't have many friends who would take my place, but Jesus loved me so much so that he came after me. And he comes after you in this place, not asking you to do what is right, but telling you that I will do it for you. That I will take your place. I will trade you your dirty robes for my clean ones. That the harder you try to scrub out that stain of your sin, of your life, the more you make it bigger. But you know, God comes in and he says, I'll take care of it. He wears it and he gives you his perfect perfection. And it's this free gift. That God would give you this free gift. That the tax collector was able to be righteous because he recognized that he needed this gift from God. And it's eternal life. And so in, in John 17, 3, it'll give us a greater picture of what this eternal life is or what this means. And it goes like this. Um, and this is eternal life, that you would know me, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That this is eternal life, that you would know me. That we didn't earn righteousness or have a good standing before God so that we'd be good people, but so that we would know God, that we would enter into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. That he wants to be with us. That this is eternal life. That you would know me. That eternal life starts now. It starts now if you know God. And this is what he desires. I have a twin. He's pretty cool. And uh, I, like most twins, have lived with my twin for more or less all of my life. Um, and you know, like there's this thing called twin telepathy, which is really kind of an interesting thought. And I would argue that it... it probably isn't real, but the reality is, is that I've lived my life with Brent so much so that I know what he would say if you asked him a question, or I know what he'll do if you put him in a situation, and I would argue it's not because I have twin telepathy, but because I know him. I know what he's thinking. I know what he's feeling. I know what he's going to say because I know his experiences, and it's like, this is who he is, and I know he'll do these things. So, too, do you have the opportunity to know God, that God did not save you from your sins so that you'd be good people, but so that you would know God, and do you know God? 
Do you know him? Can you tell me what he's thinking or what he would do? That this is his desire that you would know him. That this is eternal life. That we're not going to heaven so that we will just live forever. But we're going to go to heaven so that we can be with Jesus. If your picture of heaven is, oh, I get to live forever, then you've got it all wrong. It's about knowing God and experiencing him. If Jesus wasn't there, it was never worth it to begin with. We need Jesus, and we get to be with him forever. Jeremiah 9, 23-24 says this, and it helps us understand more of what God is actually looking for. It says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. That God is not looking for good people. He's looking for people to enjoy him with. That he wants to be with you. He desires to be with you. That he died in your place so that he could be with you. So that you could know him. Man, there's so much joy in that. There's so much joy in these truths. That we were created to be in a relationship with him. There's a reason why you keep smoking weed, drinking alcohol, looking at pornography. It's because you haven't come in contact with Jesus. Because you were created to know him. I'm going to bring it to its end. Turn with me to Matthew 7. And we'll start in 21. And it goes like this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, will enter, in, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And I want to tell you, we are all going to stand before God one day. And I plead with you to recognize this, to see this, to understand this, and to know this. That you all will stand before God just as I will. And there will be some of you in this room who stand before God and say, I did all these mighty works in your name, Jesus. And he'll be like, depart from me. I never knew you. And I plead with you. And I hope that you will see these truths. That he's not looking for you to do works, but that you would know him. Do you see? That he's not letting you into his, into his heaven, into his kingdom, because he doesn't know you. And I want to ask you, and I want to plead with you now in this place, that you would turn and know God. Throw off your self-righteousness. Throw off the things that you're doing and run to Jesus because he loves you and he wants to know you. That he died in your place so that you could experience him to know him in this relationship. That it's not about what you do, but it's about knowing God. That he saves you to know you. And I want to tell you that there's going to be some of you in this room who know God. And one day you're going to stand before him. And he's going to be like, come and enjoy the riches of the kingdom with me because I have known you. And what a glorious day that will be. I can't wait. That I'm going to be with Jesus for the rest of eternity. All the sweetness and the joy of these things. But it's not because of what I did. Like I said, I'm a beggar before the king. But yet he would come and set me free by his blood, the king's blood. I know Jesus, and he's going to call me home.
if you desire to know God and you don't know him now, I would invite you to pray with me now and to talk to your Bible study leader. Talk to me. Talk to someone on staff. And we would love to talk to you more. But if you'd love to receive Jesus now, please bow your heads and pray with me. Oh, God. God of heaven who loves us, who adores us. I thank you so much that you would come and set us free by your blood. That you love us so much so that you died on the cross. That you show us the greatness of your love and how far you've gone by the price you've paid and you gave it up with your life. So God, I ask that you would come and fill this room and that you'd be with us here in this place. God, for the person who wants to know you, God, I pray that you'd receive him and pray with me this, that God, please take my place. I need you to set me free from the sin, from the bondage of my life. And I ask that you would change my heart. Give me your spirit, God. Lead me in the way that only you can. I long to know you, God. And to know you is to want to know you more. And I can't do it without you. I need you to change my life. And I need you to save me. Just as the tax collector said, be merciful upon me, God. I need you. Lord, I thank you so much for this time. Let your name be praised always and forever. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.